There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, he is the senior sports editor at the Daily Nebraskan and the Diversity and Inclusion Internal Chair. If I got that wrong, it's your fault, Drake, because I'm reading off of your Twitter bio. Drake Keeler, hello. How are you? Hello. That is correct. And I'm doing good. Thank you for coming on my podcast this week thank you also for going on sasha and aaron's podcast this week the mind your own podcast uh you were on there on what tuesday wednesday whenever you guys recorded. Uh, yeah i mean i recorded with them on monday but no. it came on wednesday yeah okay um so i have to put aaron on blast for a second because in and and i guess sasha too you're gonna kind of get hit by proxy but like in the podcast aaron goes uh you would think that uh we would have better communicated what was going on considering we work together. And I was like, Whoa, come on. I scheduled my time with you before Aaron did. That's true. I, yeah. I feel like, I feel like, uh, Aaron sort of stole my podcast guest for the week, but it's whatever. <laughs> um, so I will direct everybody listening right now uh, to go listen to that episode from this week of the mind your own podcast. Um, it's got, it's got Drake in it obviously. And then Aaron and Sasha and, and you guys talk about um, sort of your work as the diversity and inclusion internal chair and some of the stories that you have that, that you've kind of been working on over the last year, six months, however long it's been. Um, I, we'll get to that in a second, but first I would like to ask you, as a fellow basketball person, we're recording this on Thursday. The, I believe tonight, Thursday night, uh, Kevin Durant and LeBron James will be selecting their all-star teams from the pool. I don't understand why Kevin Durant is still picking his team, even though he's not going to play. Um, but it is what it is. So my question for you, Drake, you have the first pick in this draft. You get to pick from the starters who are, let me pull this up. Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis, and Jason Tatum. Who are you picking for, Team LeBron or Team Durant first? This is going to reveal some preferences here. And then what would your first pick be? Okay. Um, I think, oh boy, um, I think I'm going to go with Team LeBron. Um I, for being a captain, I guess, I mean, I don't, it's not a huge difference to me right now. Um, but for my first pick, I'm going to go with the Joker, Nikola Jokic. Ooh. I have to, um, I, I am from Colorado. I love watching Jokic. He, if the Nuggets had a few more wins, he'd be the MP. I think he'd be the MVP front runner. 
Um, and he's going to be in that conversation. So he's very fun to watch in a lot of ways. So I, I got to go with Jokic. A LeBron Joker pick and roll would be incredible. You could invert it. You could do a bunch of different stuff with that. Yeah, um, I was talking to a buddy earlier this season, and everybody was so focused on Boston, and I was like, man, what is going on with Denver? Like, is this just because they played super late and they played all of those? I mean, they played grinded out series in the playoffs. So, like, obviously the Lakers played long, too, into the postseason. But, like, are they struggling because they don't, like they, they didn't have recovery time or they struggling because they don't have Jeremy Grant anymore. Like, I feel like nobody is talking about them, but right. yeah, I think you're right. Like if, if they were winning more, Jokic would probably be in the conversation for MVP. He feels like a guy that's going to win one at some point. Like if Joel Embiid gets this one this season, um, the center position, not just in the NBA, but just in basketball in general has really sort of, um, or, or is experiencing sort of a, a renaissance. Um, right. He feels like he's going to get one. Yeah, definitely. I feel like he definitely could. I mean, he's doing like insane things this season already. So LeBron over Durant. I might pick LeBron and then I would either have Kawhi Leonard if I'm LeBron. And then, you know, when you get to the fourth quarter and you have to deal with the Elam ending and all that stuff, I have, two of the best defenders on the floor or potentially the best defenders on the floor. If I was Durant, I'd probably pick Giannis. That'd be yeah. incredible. Arms everywhere. Arms be. everywhere. Um, let's talk about you and your work at the daily Nebraskan here. Just real quick. Um, top three stories that you have written and just kind of your thoughts on this um, diversity and, and inclusion internal chair position that, that you guys, you guys have sort of, um, really been, you, you've spearheaded this effort at the Daily Nebraskan. Am I right? Because this didn't exist before right. you guys. Yes, correct. Yeah. So top three stories, um, that's a tough one. I think in no order, I would say the coverage I did of the Minority Student Athlete Collective Rally um, has to be up there. I, I did three stories. I'm going to I'm I'll, if I have to pick one, I'll go with the feature story I did a few weeks after the rally. But just because, I mean, that moment, those few weeks are really important to me because obviously after the rally, I spoke up about the lack of media coverage at the rally. And it was something very important that I felt like I needed to cover. And so the stories that came out of that were really important to me. Second, I'd say um, in February, 2020, I did a story, a, a story on Amara Smith-Spade. She's on the bowling team. At the time, she was one of three black bowlers to ever be in Nebraska. Um, and that was, that was a really important story to me, a really great story. Um, and I think it was, you know, the first feature story I wrote that really combined, like, race and sports, which is a passion I really have now. So that was a really great experience for me. And then another one... The third one I'd say would be one of my more recent stories um, I did on the Divine Nine in Nebraska football um, for the last part of our Black Lives Matter project that we're doing right now. That was a story where I got to talk to Tony Butler and Guy Rogier about being an Omega sci-fi and taking the traditions from black fraternity and being on, a, on the football team 
and how that dynamic works and the legacy that kind of exists with the by nine fraternities in Nebraska athletics that isn't talked about um, very much or noticed very much. So to bring that story to light was really important to me. You talked about um, sort of the significance of black fraternities in the the podcast that you did with Aaron and Sasha. And right. I remember listening to that and thinking, um, cause I had, I had Mike Babcock on my podcast last week and we talked about the magnificent eight and kind of his story that he wrote on them. And one of the things that was sort of prevalent in his story and then in his retelling of it was some of those guys came to Nebraska specifically because of a black fraternity that was at Nebraska. And I don't know that people realize like, that that is actually a thing that plays into the thought process of some um, prospective student athletes that come here, you know, like Darian Daniels was a guy who was, who was a part of one and like that, you know, everybody talks about facilities winning this and that, like the, that I think is a, is a bigger piece of it than maybe a lot of people realize. Yeah. Um, I actually did mention, um, the Magnificent Eight article in my article, because that's part of, you know, why I really wanted to look into this because I saw something about Tony Butler and then I saw that Magnificent Eight story. I was like, maybe there's like a story here that it can piece together. And then eventually there was. Um, But I think like, yeah, it's really important. It's a big part of why some athletes want to come here. I mean, we're in a very white state. And if you're interested in coming to Nebraska, um, having that community where you're around people that I, that look like you, um, that can be really important in having that representation right around you um, in Nebraska. Um, one of the, now I haven't been following this super closely. I probably should, but I just haven't been following men's basketball real closely. I've been focused on women's basketball. One of the things that, that you wanted to talk about or suggested we talk about um, is what's going on with Creighton. Yeah. What are, your, what are your thoughts on kind of that situation that's over there? I saw Justin Patton said something about it. Um, and Greg McDermott told a radio show, ESPN, The Zone, uh, that he offered to resign. And his players said, no, we want him to coach. Uh, but nobody has taken any questions right. on uh, what, what happened. What, what, I guess what are your thoughts on kind of that situation as it's sort of unfolding? Yeah, I think I'm still processing my thoughts on that, honestly, because I mean, when it when it came out and he issued that apology, I was like, whoa, you know, that that's not something I've ever heard before. Um, it's obviously a big deal. I think, you know, I, I haven't like always followed Greg McDermott closely, but, you know, just seeing like what Creighton, the messaging Creighton has put out on social justice and things like that. I think it's a guy, he's a guy where like they'll give him the benefit of the doubt, you know, just with what he's done. And obviously that's evidenced by like the players wanting him to stay. I'm sure there's more to it than that. But I, the most interesting thing to me was that he didn't take questions about it. Um, You know, he apologized and he offered to resign, which I think is, you know, good for him. But when you say that you want like to have these conversations about it, it's, it's really interesting when, you know, all the, any disciplinary action will be kept private and you don't want to answer questions about it at the press conference. Cause I, I don't know, that kind of shows that like you, 
I don't even know how to word it, but like in that case, it's almost like he wants to talk about it on his terms, which is really interesting versus, you know, letting people ask about it and all the details and a lot of former players. Um, one of the women's basketball players spoke up and I don't know. I think, I think it would be good for him to actually take questions about it. Yeah. It's an interesting situation. I mean, sometimes trying to keep a situation like this in house can sort of be viewed from the outside as shirking responsibility or, or accountability. Maybe um, I think it'll be really curious to see what happens after their season concludes. Um, and it was interesting to, to watch sort of the knee jerk reaction to his apology because the first thing, the first time that I'd heard of this was seeing Greg McDermott tweet his apology and the, just the, the juxtaposition of I've never used that before. I've never said that before while also the fact that he was speaking to his team as he said, in the moment, in the heat of the moment, and it just right. sort of came off the cuff. Like, I, like we were talking in our Slack channel about it, and we're like, I've never heard that phrase before. I've never heard that phrase before. And I grew up in Oklahoma. Right. And, like, so if you've never heard – like, so if I've never heard that phrase before, that's not coming into my head in the heat of the moment. Right. Um, and, yeah, so that was really interesting. That part of it is interesting. And, and like – um you know, I've seen a lot of people speak to his character. I don't know anything about McDermott. I don't cover Creighton. Um, right. I, I can sort of, it. when I was thinking about it, I sort of related it to a situation that happened when I was in Oklahoma. The Oklahoma City Thunder, one of their broadcast guys on a broadcast during a Thunder game um, said that, I think Russell Westbrook, I think the phrase that he said was um, out of his cotton picking mind. Yeah, I remember that. And he ended up losing his job over that. And I remember having conversations with people um, sort of in my circle back home of why is that I've, I've, that's, you know, I've heard that phrase before. It's never been said in any kind of demeaning or derogatory way. Why is that a problem? And I was like, just because, you know, you don't think that it's a problem. It doesn't mean that other people don't might not think that it's a problem. And some of these things are just like, just because like, your grandparents said it and you heard it from them and, and they were like, Oh, they didn't mean anything of it. That doesn't mean that there aren't still undertones to it. And, and I just think the, it's interesting. It's going to be an interesting situation to kind of watch unfold once their season ends, which I think it, it will once their season ends. Yeah. I, I honestly just want to watch out. Like you said, just watch it. Um, I really don't think they'll go as far as like firing him or anything. Um, I mean, obviously like the player said they didn't want him to resign um, according to what he said, but I think, I don't know. There's a chance it just fades away and they stop talking about it. I hope that's not the case. Um, it seems like you think, you think it won't be just because of how many, how much outside pressure there's been from former Creighton players and current Creighton players in other sports. But like you said, yeah, I'm, Curious to see how it plays out. Well, like with the going back to the Brian Davis situation, I mean, what Russell Westbrook came out afterwards and said he right. that he didn't want uh, BD to lose his job. Um, that that they had a conversation about it, and BD, you know, 
expressed that he didn't mean anything negative with the comment. It was just a comment that he grew up around a phrase that he grew up around and, and that they had kind of talked with each other. And, and I mean, you can speak to this more than I can, but I think sometimes that's just the most important thing is showing that you're willing to learn, uh, right. Why that was an issue. And so like from the standpoint of them keeping things in house, if they're doing that, then, you know, you can, you can feel better about him remaining the coach. And if they feel like they being the team feel like that he's open to stuff like that. Um, I don't know, maybe that, that makes things a little bit easier to kind of soothe the situation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't know anything about Greg McDermott. He seems like a fine guy. I don't, I'm not obviously like what is, what he said was very bad, but I think this is a situation where he'll probably keep coaching for a number of reasons, but again, I I have no idea. Let's transition to Nebraska basketball. You cool with that? Yes. So someone asked me the other day what I thought of Fred Hoiberg and what I thought of kind of the direction that this program is headed. And this was before the recent two game winning streak that they had just absolutely blowing out Rutgers in their last game. Um, I said at the time, things are all good. He's going to be good for Nebraska. They are, they are fine. The, the program is moving in the right direction. I remember looking at their stuff early in the season. And and like I said, I haven't followed them super closely, but I remember looking at their stuff early in the season. um, and, And just from, from a statistical standpoint, their profile earlier in the year was exactly the way Fred Hoiberg wants them to play. They were just missing shots. And I saw somebody put out um, their shot chart for the year, their kind of heat map, so to speak. And it was all threes and paint. And there was very little mid-range going on. So like when you look at what they're doing, they are playing the way Fred wants them to play. Um. I just found the tweet. Somebody said that they had the best shot profile in the Big Ten. So from an analytical standpoint, all threes and, and paint twos, that would be the best shot profile right. just based off of value of, of shots. Um, they are, they're playing very modern. They're playing pace and space. And in the last two games, they're starting to hit shots, and they've won. And things have, have sort of looked the way that they're supposed to look, right? Um, do you think that this is just – they're at the end of their year. Um, they're finally getting a couple of breaks or, or kind of, how do you feel about the direction of this program and sort of where they're at now as they approach the end of a, a second year under Fred? Yeah, I think, and I, I've, I, I've gone back and forth on this because I, I think generally things are fine. Um, it's, it's still the second year under Hoiberg. I, I, I don't think like, I haven't lost confidence in Hoiberg being able to turn this thing around. Cause like when he, when he got there, I was like, I think, I think he can be a good coach for Nebraska. Um, and I'd say that the second year, just, I mean, as we reach the end of it, it's probably, you know, still underwhelming for what Nebraska would like to see in the second year, but the team does, I would say the team does look better. Um, these last few games have looked really good for them. Um, even, you know, the Rutgers blow without Teddy Allen and winning that game by a lot. And um, that that's definitely a good sign. I mean, it might be a combination of factors, just things breaking the right way. But either way, you take that. And that's always a good thing. So, like you said, they're playing 
they're playing how Hoiberg wants them to play, and they're going to get – it seems like they're going to get more talent in there. Bryce McGowan's is coming, you know. Um, more transfers in the next coming years, of course. So yeah, I, I would agree that it seems like they are still heading in the right direction. What do you think about their shot profile? When they were losing earlier in the year, there were a lot of, of – I shouldn't say a lot. There were several people that were questioning sort of this approach of being so perimeter oriented, specifically in the Big Ten, where there are the Luca Garzas of the world, of, of right. the college basketball world. You look at a guy like Ivanoi Drago, who is their paint presence. He only shoots paint twos, and right. his effective field goal percentage this season uh, is 43.8%, which is awful. It's right. absolutely awful. It's the second worst on the team uh, behind Thor at sheesh, 42%. Yikes. Um, so, like, when you say, oh, their shot profile is all threes and then paint twos, yeah, but they don't have that post presence that is sort of stereotypically Big Ten basketball. Do you think that's a problem? Yeah, I mean, kind of. Um not totally. I the shot profile it looks really bad when you're losing. Um, it looks a lot better when you're doing it well. Obviously, like most things, but um, I think it is important to have some sort of paint presence, and they are trying to find that. You know, with Derek Walker, Eduardo Andre, they've had their moments for sure. Um, and Odrago is. Had definitely had his struggles this year, especially offensively. And that's like something that definitely needs a focus and something to improve on. But I definitely don't have a problem with like the shot profile. I think eventually, you know, once this team, ideally, you know, this team will be where Hoiberg wants it. And those starts, those shots will start going in more often. And once that happens, you know, people will stop complaining about it once it translates to wins and that's, and that's okay. Um, but yeah, I think it is important. You don't have to be like every other big 10 team, but you should have some sort of pain presence. I just, uh, added up there. Just added up their uh, mid range shots. They've taken 39 mid range shots. All That's not a lot of mid range shots. No, they've taken 113 right wing threes. Love that which is insane because they take so wow. Now that I'm looking at this, they take a lot of wing threes. When you look at an NBA shot chart, it's a lot of above the break threes, corner threes, and then paints, paint, right. paint points. Um, there's a story for you. Why do they take so many wing threes? Yeah. Interesting. That is. Um, who, who does it first? Hoiberg wins a big 10 title. He can win a regular season or a conference title. Or Scott Frost wins a division title. This is tough. I think... Oh, I have no idea now that I think of it. But I think I might have to go with Frost... Um, I don't know when this would be. I don't know if it's any time soon for either of them. Just because, I mean, Big Ten basketball is really good. It's likely going to stay really good. Um, 
the Big Ten West is relatively weaker. It, the Big Ten West is probably easier to win than it is for Nebraska to win their conference, right? Um, and I think because of that, Frost might do it first. But in terms of, like, who will be good first and who will be closer to the top of the division slash conference first, I think there I would go with Nebraska basketball. But I don't know if they'll, like, be in a position to win it. This is sort of like the thing with basketball and why really any sort of worry about Fred is is a little premature because, like, when you talk about football, you have to build a roster and you have to build depth through multiple years of consistently strong recruiting. In basketball, and we've seen this with Fred, you can flip a roster in one offseason. He did right. it his first year and then he did it again. Uh, this this past off season, you can you can flip a roster real quick, and when they bring in Trey McGowan's, how how do you see sort of them? Do you think they flip again? Do you think they drastically change things again, or do you think it's sort of just um, adjustments around the periphery to try to mm-hmm. account for this singular awesome talent that they have coming in? I think it'll be a decent sized flip definitely not to the degree that it's been the last two years um but i do think you know there will probably be some transfers and a good amount to kind of you know keep bringing in what they want they want what they want on this team i don't think like they're at the point where like okay we have the roster we want and now we just continue to build that i think they'll keep looking for transfers and have a decent amount of turnaround on that roster um, but to go back what you said about divisions, like I, I don't even know what to think about that at times because, like, I feel like generally it's a lot more important for Frost to win the division than it is for, like, Hoiberg to win the conference or lead the conference at the end of the season probably because, like, you can make the tournament without winning the conference. Um, for football, you know, that's – in a division that doesn't have like an Ohio state, that expectation might be like a bigger thing for Nebraska. They've constantly said things about wanting to win the big 10 West. That's been a goal that's been stated a lot. So I think there's also just like higher stakes there. For sure. I think they could win the big 10 West in the next three years. Maybe, yeah. I, I think they could. And I think, you know, it's – it's. I don't know that it is weaker than the East. Um, right. But the East is getting better, but the West, I think, you know, because in, in the Northwestern the, – the year that everybody was like, oh, the East is just significantly better than the West was the year that Northwestern right. – if I remember correctly, was the year that Northwestern was down two years ago and they just had – an atrocious offense, but they had one still top 25 defense. Uh, and then they flip it around. And this past year, they're in the big 10 championship game again and competing with Ohio state at halftime. Um, the, the West is, is tough. Absolutely. And I do, I think frost, I think this team could, could do it at some point in the next three seasons. Um, I don't, I have I have, zero clue what this upcoming season is going to look like for them. But I think in the next three years, they could win the big 10 West. Um, yeah. 
for I sure. I don't really see it. Yeah, I don't think I see it like next season, um, just because of the roster changes and everything like that. Um, but if I think, depending on what we see next season, I think I could definitely see it. Like with like what you said, and within the next three seasons, this season will do a lot to determine what they look like in the next in, in the following two years, because absolutely this season. And I say that specifically talking about Adrian Martinez, what he does this season will determine what their overall team I think looks like in the next two or three years, because if he has a strong season, a bounce back season in what would be his fourth year starting, I don't know why he would come back for a fifth year, why he wouldn't right. just go to the NFL um, or try to go to the NFL if he, if he has a strong enough year. And then, you know, you're able to sort of reset a little bit with the quarterbacks that you have. If he has another down year and either the NFL is not as realistic an opportunity for him, getting drafted, I should say, is not as realistic an opportunity for him and he comes back, then I'm really curious kind of what happens with with their quarterback situation and what happens with them moving forward. The thing about expectations bring this back to basketball for a second. The thing about expectations yeah. is that it's interesting. He, he doesn't have to win. Like you said, he doesn't have to win the conference to make, uh, make it to the NCAA tournament, but he does right. have to make it to the NCAA tournament. Yes. And this is sort of a thing that, you know, depending on who you talk to, you get one or the other. Does he have to be making the NCAA tournament more often than he misses it? Or in your eyes, is this a place where you just have to make it once or twice every five years? I I think it might be another few years before they make the NCAA tournament, maybe a shorter time, maybe like two years. But one, once they do get that first NCAA tournament appearance, I think it'll evolve into the expectation where – you'd like to see Nebraska making the tournament more than they miss it. I mean, hmm. I think if Fred is here for a long time, I think for the first, for like the next five years, one or two appearances will be great. After that, that might turn into the expectation of making it more than you miss it. So short term, I feel like, just one or two would be great, but long term, I feel like that expectation will slowly turn into making it more often. Which is good. It's good for the program when when you have a guy that comes in and raises expectations to where instead of, you know, once in a while you're appearing, it's no, you gotta be showing up and you gotta be winning something. That's good. That's what the right. program needs. Um, especially considering the facilities that they have and the the arena that they play in. That that would that would be nice. And I think Fred can get there. And I've said this uh, a bunch of times in a bunch of different places. Like, I think he's a really good coach. I think Nebraska's lucky to have him. I think Chicago was stupid to fire him and, and kind of do him dirty the way they did in the yeah. NBA. Um, and, you know, when you listen to sort of the, um, the, the smart basketball analyst people talk about kind of what happened with Chicago a lot of them say, yeah, nobody really knows what Fred Hoiberg is as an NBA coach because he didn't really have any any opportunity. And maybe that the the NBA comes knocking again if if he turns Nebraska around, but I think Nebraska's really lucky to have him. Um, yeah, for sure. Space Jam. We got Space Jam images today. Are you a Space Jam guy? 
You're a basketball um, guy. Yes. Are you a Space Jam guy? Yes. I did not see the Space Jam images. Hold on. I retweeted them so you can go to my account and look. Okay. I, I remember like seeing that they were out, but I did not actually look at the images. I am very excited about this movie. Okay. And I am not excited for the inevitable which Space Jam was better, Jordan or LeBron. That's going to be <laughs> unbearable. That's going to be a hellish scape to be living in. Um, but the CGI looks awesome. Bugs Bunny back in a basketball movie. Don Cheadle is in it. I'm very excited yes. about this movie. Yeah, I'm looking at the images now. This arena type thing is really interesting um, with all this background stuff, the CGI. It looks like Tron. Like, oh. Yeah, it, I'm really interesting. It's, it also looks like there's a lot of people there, a lot of normal Earth people. So I'm interested to see where this game will be taking place. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely excited for it. Um, I'm not going, I'm definitely not going to be one to engage in the, which space jam is better debates. Um, I just hope it's fun. Like the first movie was, I don't, I don't necessarily need it to be a good movie. I'm just hoping it's enjoyable. Yeah. I don't think the original space jam was a good film, but it was enjoyable as all hell. I still have, the like god i don't even remember what they're called now i'm blanking on what they're called the the cassette tape thing the tape that you put into the vcr i still have that i still have that nice. box the plastic box that has like the trim yeah. around the edges that you open. yeah i don't even have i have a dvd but we still have the like the vcr tape is that what that's what it's called right i think so god i <laughs> I hate to say that I'm close to the Gen Z, but I feel like I'm close to the Gen Z generation right now because I can't remember what the stupid thing was called. And we had them. I have the the thing. Um, I'm very excited for this movie. Uh, yes. I, it's also terrible that when I saw the images, the first thought that popped into my head was when I saw the, the crowd in the background, I was like, oh, no masks. <laughs> right. I'm just noticing that too. It's terrible. It's terrible. Jordan or LeBron? Now, I, now I'm curious. Oh boy! Um, for a long time, I was I was a Jordan guy, and I think I'm slowly going over to the LeBron side. Um, I would say either I'll pick LeBron, or I'm, or for like the last few years, I'd say I've been a guy where it's like it's one A one B at this point. Whoever you want to pick, if if you think Jordan's the GOAT, that there's a lot of reasons you can say that. If you think LeBron's a GOAT, you can, there's a lot of reasons you can say that. I honestly feel like people just use a lot of bad arguments when debating it, and that just makes it not fun at all. What's, your, what's a bad argument? Like LeBron, I mean, sorry, like Jordan what, won a nine in the playoffs without Pippen or whatever in like the first three years of his career. I, I don't really see that as a valid argument against Jordan because he was doing like insane things without Pippen. I'm largely of the mindset that it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, 
I think personal, because this comes down to personal preference. That's all it is, right? We're not going to see the two guys play. So it's all about personal preference and what you value most. And I, we, you know, I've sort of had this conversation in a number of spaces uh, with different sports too. Like we had, like I had a conversation with Mo Berry and Deontay Williams a few years ago about whether Tom Brady uh, or Aaron Rodgers was better than Tom Brady. And they felt that Aaron Rodgers was better than Tom Brady. And like, he doesn't have the rings. Um, Oh, I guess I shouldn't put them on blast like that. I don't remember who said that Aaron Rodgers, but we had that conversation. Um, and, and we were like, look, they're incredible quarterbacks. If you take away the rings component, because Rodgers hasn't played on the same kind of teams that Brady has, like, I, I guess you could get there. And so, you know, like when you talk about LeBron and Jordan, like they're incredible generational basketball players, but a lot of their greatness is different. And so, you know, in, in that standpoint, they're hard. They're, I just look at it. I'm like, it's kind of like the Messi Ronaldo debate right now with, with soccer of like, just enjoy the both of them. Right. That being said, if LeBron wins a fifth ring this year, it's, it's done. It's over. It's him. He's, he's got the debate settled. If it's six, because the only, the, the only, like, I think the only argument that you can make for Jordan is that he has six rings and LeBron has four and has failed all of the other times that he's been in the, the finals. If he gets to five, suddenly it's, you know, the rings argument is moot right. at that point, I think. Yeah. And he'd likely have to be like the Nets or like a very good team yep and if they're in a point where like i don't know if they catch the utah jazz but if he wins an mvp this season and wins a fifth ring i think for sure i I think it's over yeah i think like if i had to pick one right now i'd go lebron but like mostly i'm like yeah it's it's 1a 1b take your pick of who you prefer I hope people have that same energy when the new Space Jam movie comes out because I just want to enjoy it. I'm right. I'm, have these images kind of up on the side of my computer screen, so I just keep glancing over at them and seeing just them keep and getting, at them. getting excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's wrap up with this. If I have all of my information correct, could be wrong. I'm wrong a lot. You and my colleague Greg Smith are the only two people of color covering Nebraska football or basketball. How do we be, and we being white people in media, because there's vastly more of us, how do we be better in that regard? Yeah. Um, in, in, what, in what regard? Let me just make sure I'm clear. How, I guess, because... You know, a lot of people will scream, we'll just hire the best person regardless of the color of their skin. Just hire whoever's best. But that's not always what happens. How, how do we how do we get to a place where it's not, you know, you don't look around and you see, oh, well, there's only one person of color or there's one or two women covering this team or this league. Like, how do we get to a place where, like, we're not – noticing that because I feel like what has also happened is we have noticed that. And then instead of, you know, making an effort to change the why that happens, 
we just are like, okay, well, we're, we're just going to hire a few people of color and we're going to call it good. Right. So like, what, what do we need to do? What do we need to be better at to sort of change the, the landscape within kind of this little media bubble that we have? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a question, you know, I'm also trying to answer for myself right now Um, with this board, you know, the daily Nebraskan isn't diverse either. And I think student newspapers are a great way to, are a great place to, you know, really try these diversity efforts because, you know, that's where student journalists are developed and we have to diversify our hiring processes and making sure, you know, we're doing outreach to marginalized communities to diverse communities on campus and making sure, you know, we're offering opportunities to, for black journalists, you know, all kinds of journalists to get that experience for the real world. And then when it comes to like what you said, just like media outlets across Nebraska, it just comes to trying your best to diversify, you know, your hiring processes and make sure you're not just hiring, you know, people that look like you, people you're comfortable with um, because they look like you or because you, you feel that you can relate to them better. Um, and there's a lot of ways you can do that. Um, I'm not, I'm not totally sure of all of them, but I mean, just being intentional with those efforts. And then once you do have, you know, a diverse range of journalists at your publication or you've hired I diverse diverse range of journalists, just offering that support while they're there. You know, retention is also a big part of this. You can't just, like you said, you can't just hire a couple black people and say we're good. You know, you have to offer them the support you give everyone else and offer them the opportunities to grow at that publication or media outlet or whatever, wherever. Intentionality is a good word. Yeah. That, that when you said that, that was, that, that kind of clicked in my head. Um, Absolutely. To sort of bring this back to the basketball discussion, Fred Hoiberg's yeah. program was pretty intentional this summer with the way that they handled a lot of stuff. Was that good to see? Yeah, I'd say so. And I mean, there was a lot of intentionality just from Nebraska. Um, I mean, from student athletes, they took action. Nebraska basketball took action. You know, um, I did a story for another student site kind of this for my internship this summer, I did a story on Nebraska, never having a black head coach. And I talked to Bill Moose and he talked about, you know, how diversity is important them in the hiring process when they're hiring coaches. And now they're aware of, you know, they've never had a black head coach and why that's important and why we're making sure, you know, when we're doing these hiring searches and, all those things that these processes we're doing are equitable and allowing everybody a shot. I think one of the things when you, when you talk about um, will this coach or that coach, coach A, coach B, be successful at their program in this day and age in this 2021 i mean in, in the the times that we're living in right now you have to factor that stuff into it i think you have to factor Absolutely. in um sort of taking those things into account and like you said being intentional with how you behave 
what you prioritize, what you value. And so like, I think when you talk about can Fred Hoiberg be successful at Nebraska so far, what we've seen is he can be successful recruiting because of his NBA pedigree. He can be successful attracting people to his program because of his innovative offensive mind, but then he can also be successful getting people to believe in his program and buy into his program just because of the the way that he treats people and values people. And as we've seen so far is able to relate to people and make, I think the things that are important to them, important to him. Um, I think that's something that, that can't be understated when you're talking about like, will this person have success? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to, like, basketball and football, you're looking at teams of predominantly black athletes. So you need a coach that understands or is willing to listen and understand what they're going through. You know, when we talk about 2020 and all the racial justice movements, um, you need a coach that understands that and can be there for his players and understand what they may be going through because the players definitely care. So if you don't care, you know, that's a bad look and – show and that's important to show that you do care about the players, the athletes you are coaching. For sure. Uh, well, Jake, I'll, I'll let you get back to your Thursday. I won't take up any more of your time. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Whenever uh, we get through this big 10 tournament and Nebraska has made a serious run and won the whole damn thing and punched <laughs> its ticket to the NCAA tourney, we'll have you back on. Right. Um, and we will talk about what the hell we just watched. I don't know that that's going to yeah. happen, but it'd be cool if it did. Thank you for right. coming on the podcast, dude. Yeah, thank you for having me on. That's going to do it for this week. Make sure you're reading HailVarsity.com. Subscribe to HailVarsity. Subscribe to all of the podcast offerings that we have as a proud part of the Herd App Media Network. That includes the Mind Drone podcast with Aaron Sorensen and our producer today, Sasha Durkin. Shout out, Sasha. Um, Drake was on this week's podcast. I will link to it in the show description on our website. Um, if you are not getting the podcast from our website, make sure you are subscribed to the mind your own podcast. Remember, if you have not already go leave this show, a five-star review. If you leave a four-star three-star two-star or even a one-star review, I will find you. I will track down your email address and I will spam clips of the Scott's tots episode of the office right into your inbox be safe talk to you guys next week a hood at media production